Hi. Hi. So, um, what's this book about? You didn't read this one either? Well, I was gonna, but I uh, accidentally read something else. What? Vogue. I hated the book, all right? I have no idea what it's about, and the writer was clearly on drugs when he wrote it. I mean, it just, it went on and on and on like it was written in a total hurry. If I handed in something like this, there's no way I'd get a good grade on it. I mean, it's boring and it's unorganized. And I only read 30 pages of it anyway. Well, that was passionate, albeit entirely misinformed. Who dares follow Miss Kelly's lucid analysis? It's required reading. With Tom and Stella. Episode 81, Call Me By Your Name, by Andre Asimon. Professor Pearl, madame. Thank you so much. So nice. I'm very I can show you around. That'd be great. Thank you. So what do you do around here? Read books. Transcribe music, swim at the river, go out at night. Sounds fun. All right, later. Just watch. This is how we'll say goodbye to us when the time comes. Later. <laughs> Meanwhile, we'll have to put up with him for six long weeks. <laughs> Muscles are firm. Not a straight body in these statues. They're all curved sometimes impossibly curved, and so nonchalant, hence their ageless ambiguity, as if they're daring you to desire them. Oh, to see without my eyes The first time that you give Is there anything you don't know? Boundless by the time I cry You only knew how little I know about the things that matter. Build your walls around what things that matter? White noise, what an awful sound. You know what things. You're saying what I think you're saying. Shouldn't have said anything. Just pretend you never did. To required reading with Tom and Stella, a podcast brought to you by Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. This podcast is all about books and literature, and each month we take a thorough look at one particular piece of literature. It might be erotic, might not be erotic, might be about fruits, might be about vegetables, we don't know. But we've both read that piece of literature, and we determine whether it is worthy of his reputation and required reading. So here on this ride through pastures of apricot and peaches. It is I, Stella. And with me is <laughs> Tom Van Reese. I'm ready for some of that hot produce action. Whoa! You heard it here first. Yeah, I think <laughs> I may have gotten you back for the queer romance and <laughs> the king solver all in one go. This book certainly is thirsty, isn't it? <laughs> Yes, you're you're quite welcome. You're quite welcome. Now we're we've reached the end of summer. Are you feeling some guilt and some, I guess, nostalgia or even just loss, kind of like Elio does at the end of this novel? Um, 
I don't know. I'm just still very tired. <laughs> it's been a long, it's been, it, it's just been a lot this summer. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm both ready to go back to work and wishing I just had like more time to myself, but I don't know. I'm sure that it'll all work out and everything. Yeah. I wish that I actually had a summer because mm. that's, what, yeah. you know, <laughs> Tom came on the call and he's like, how are you? I'm like, I'm exhausted. I yeah. just feel like I'm, I'm totally burned out. So yes, but we'll, we'll, we just keep going one foot in front of the other one <laughs> day at a time for sure. Well, yes. So we are talking Call Me By Your Name, which was a pretty big hit. I don't know necessarily as a book until the film came out. Because, of course, I feel like maybe that was really what pushed Timothy Chalamet <laughs> towards the top because everybody loves that guy now. Yeah. And then I think people started to really come back and, and look at the book. But I think it was something where the film actually helped the book's popularity. But what is your history, either with this title in general, so film or book, or just the, the book? Honestly, until you mentioned it, I actually didn't know the movie was based on a book yeah <laughs> uh, i i'd only heard of the movie i knew that it put it essentially put timothy chalamet on the map uh as far as you know i don't think if he had he got nominated for an oscar for that movie i think and if he hadn't had that i don't think we would have be seeing him in like dune and i mean that wonka movie looks god awful but i mean like, he wouldn't be getting these kind of marquee uh, roles and stuff. And I've never actually seen the movie just because I just don't, you know, I have a tendency to not see a lot of movies lately. Yeah. So it's just one that I, I missed. Um, and uh, I don't know if I'll go back considering how strange Army Hammer is. If you've heard some of the stuff around him. Yeah. Well, of course, but, I call him the cannibal now. Yeah. So, but no, by and large, I, I knew the movie because it had, it, it really had made a huge splash uh when it came out and when it was nominated for a bunch of oscars up until the point where you this book i had no idea it was based on a book uh so my, i'm pretty green when it comes to uh comes to this whole work there you go yes so i saw the film first i think this was around the time that i began being more intentional about trying to see all the best picture nominees mm when they were coming out and so this was nominated for best picture and i remember as i was like going in my mother was like trying to convince me to go see the phantom thread instead i'm like nah i think i'm gonna go see call me by your name and it was interesting especially like the peach scene because i was like behind an elderly couple and i'm just thinking i don't know if you have these experiences but sometimes i like it's very surreal. I'm like both thinking about the film and the audience. And so at that moment, I was like, I wonder what these uh, elderly people think about this this scene right here. And then I, it must have been 2020, I think I first read it. I saw that one of my colleagues was reading it, which was shocking because obviously I, I taught at a Christian school, that he was reading it. And I was like, oh, you know what? Could I borrow it after you're done? And so that was the first time that I had read it. And so this is, yeah, the second time. And then I recently rewatched the film this past week to see kind of how it measured up again. Mm -hmm. Yes, but I always remember, I mean, basically I associate this film with the peach scene. And when I was reading it the second time, because it was all about the apricots first, I was like, oh my gosh, have I like been wrongly saying peach? But it is a peach. It is mm. a peach that he actually molests. <laughs> yeah. So anything else before I get into the real life of the author? No, go right ahead. 
Okay, well, uh, Asiman was born in Alexandria, Egypt, the son of Regine and Henri, who owned a knitting factory. His mother was deaf, and he was raised in a French-speaking home where family members spoke Italian, Greek, Ladino, and Arabic. His parents were Sephardic Jews of Turkish and Italian origin from families that had settled in Alexandria in 1905 and as members of one of the Mutamassiran communities, his family members were unable to become Egyptian citizens. So as a child, Asiman missed and believed that he was a French citizen and he attended British schools in Egypt. His family was spared from the 1956 to 1957 exodus and expulsion from Egypt. However, increased tensions with Israel under President Gamal Abdel Nasser put Jews in a precarious position and his family left Egypt nine years later in 1965. After his father purchased Italian citizenship for the family, Asiman moved with his mother and brother as refugees to Rome while his father moved to Paris. They moved to New York City in 1968. He earned a BA in English and Comparative Literature from Lehman College in 1973 and an MA and PhD in Comparative Literature from Harvard University in 1988. Asiman's 1996 memoir out of Egypt about Alexandria before the expulsions was widely reviewed and in the New York Times Machiko Kakutani described the book as a quote remarkable memoir that leaves the reader with a mesmerizing portrait of a now vanished world and she compared his work with that of Lawrence Durrell and noted quote there are some wonderfully vivid scenes here as strange and marvelous as something in Garcia Marquez. Now Call Me By Your Name received widespread acclaim from literary critics with review aggregator bookmarks reporting zero negative, can you believe it, and zero mixed reviews among 10 total. Yeah, there are only 10 at that point, indicating rave reviews. Reviewing for the New York Times, Stacy Durasmo called the novel, quote, an exceptionally beautiful book. Writing in The New Yorker, Cynthia Zarin said, Asiman's first novel shows him to be an acute grammarian of desire in the washington post charles kaiser said if you have ever been the willing victim of obsessive love a force greater than yourself that pulls you inextricably toward the object of your desire you will recognize every nuance of andre asimon's superb new novel call me by name there's also a sequel to this novel called Find Me, which was released in 2019, which I recently got from the library, but I haven't started yet. And then the film adaptation that we were talking about that stars Timothy Chalamet as Eliel and, as I call him, the cannibal, Army Hammer as Oliver and Michael Stuhlbarg as Eliel's father that was released in 2017. And uh, to critical acclaim, so at the 90th Academy Awards, it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor, Chalamet, Best Original Song, Mystery of Love by Sufjan Stevens and Best Adapted Screenplay James Ivory winning the latter uh, and I should say that it was directed Luca Guadagnino so this is one of those things you could call a hashtag own voices mainly because the author being Jewish and living in Italy at the time so he very much I think speaks from experience in some of these aspects or regard it did lose to the shape of water by the way that was yes. the best picture winner that year and the best director was Guillermo del Toro so yeah there you go yep which I had also seen, which was also an interesting film. But, I mean, you should expect that from Guillermo del Toro. Okay, well, this is the plot synopsis. Thank you to Lit Charts for this plot synopsis. Also, thank you to Wikipedia for the biography that gathered. Okay, 
Elio spends each summer with his academic parents in the small Italian village of B, period. Each year, the family hosts young American scholars who come to live in Italy while working on a book project. When Elio is 17, his family invites a 24-year-old Columbia professor named Oliver to live with them for six weeks. Upon Oliver's arrival, Elio is drawn to him but doesn't quite understand why, taking special care to give him a nice tour of the town and paying close attention to the way he presents himself. He is impressed by Oliver's billowy shirt that opens onto his chest and the casual, confident way he moves through the world. At the same time, he also begins to resent Oliver's relaxed attitude, which seems insulting. For instance, whenever Oliver leaves the house, he says, later, a way of saying goodbye Elio has never heard and dislikes for its indifference. Elio and Oliver make a habit of working together in the mornings by the pool. While Elio works on a musical score at the outdoor table, Oliver makes changes to his manuscript on a blanket in the grass. After lunch, he moves to the edge of the pool to read, saying, quote, this is heaven. As such, he dubs this spot heaven or the oral of paradise. Each day, Elio watches him luxuriate, periodically asking if he's asleep. When Oliver isn't dozing, he makes conversation with Elio, asking what he's thinking about or talking to him about complex academic ideas. Always impressed by Elio's ability to engage in sophisticated intellectual conversations. Often their conversations take sudden turns and become emotionally charged, as Elio constantly tries to determine the best thing to say and is sometimes offended by Oliver's mood swings. One moment Oliver will be playful and encouraging, and the next he'll be cold and uninterested, gazing at Elio with a chilly look. Eventually, Elio comes to understand that he's attracted to Oliver, but he can't bring himself to act upon his feelings. Instead, he tries to hide his emotions while simultaneously hoping Oliver will do something to acknowledge the energy flowing between them. At the same time, though, he balks whenever Oliver gives him an opportunity to reveal his feelings. One day, for instance, Oliver comes up behind him on the tennis court, throws an arm around him, and with the other massages his shoulder, saying he seems tight. Elio is instantly overwhelmed and shrinks from Oliver. Oliver's touch. Quote, a moment longer and I would have slackened, he notes. Taken aback, Oliver apologizes, saying he must have pinched a nerve, though Elio later realizes that he must have seen through this act. Quote, knowing as I later came to learn how thoroughly trenchant was his ability to sort contradictory signals, I have no doubt that he must have already suspected something, he writes. Elio's preoccupation with Oliver continues throughout the summer. Before long, Oliver starts partying with locals. He even strikes up a romantic relationship with a girl named Chiara, who's closer in age to Elio. Around this time, Elio starts paying such close attention to Oliver's moods that he ascribes different personalities to each of his four bathing suits. Red means he's bold, set in his ways, very grown up, almost gruff and ill-tempered. Yellow means he's sprightly, buoyant, funny, not without barbs. Green means he's acquiescent, eager to learn, eager to speak, sunny, and blue is the color he has worn whenever he has showed Elio affection and attention, like when he massaged his shoulder or stepped into his bedroom from their shared balcony or picked up a glass Elio dropped in the grass and said, when Elio told him he didn't have to do that, that he did it because he wanted to. While hanging out in town one night with friends, Elio sees Oliver and Chiara walking arm in arm. Although Elio and Oliver have been avoiding each other at home, the tension between them palpable. They have a short conversation disguising their feelings through small talk that they refract through Chiara and the other people present. Despite this roundabout way of communicating, Elio is delighted when Oliver delivers a veiled compliment to him before leaving. Later that night, Elio spends time with a girl that uh, named Marzia, who is very obviously attracted to him. You're not with me because you're angry with 
with Chiara, she asks as they skinny dip in the dark ocean. Why am I angry with Chiara, he replies. And she says, because of him. He assures her he doesn't know what she's talking about, and when they put their clothes on again, he kisses her and tells her to meet him at this spot the following night. She agrees and leaves, though not before instructing him not to tell anybody about their plans. We almost did it, Elio tells his father. And Oliver, the following day during breakfast, his father asks why they didn't, and Elio says he doesn't know, so Oliver says try again later. Then he adds, if not later, when. This phrase haunts Elio as he applies it to their own relationship, ultimately adding a sense of urgency to the situation. As he turns the sentence over in his mind, he wonders if Oliver has found him out and uncovered each and every one of his secrets with those four cutting words. Finally, when he can't take it any longer, Elio expresses his feelings for Oliver. Do you know what you're saying, Oliver asks? Yes, Elio replies. I know what I'm saying, and you're not mistaking any of it. Having spoken so directly, he waits as Oliver runs inside to visit his translator. When he returns, though, it's as if the conversation had died away. I wish I hadn't spoken, he says after a while. I'm going to pretend you never did, Oliver responds, eventually saying they can't talk about such things. On the way back from town, Elio leads Oliver to one of his favorite places, Monet's Berm, where Monet used to paint. Putting their bikes down, they continue the conversation, though they avoid speaking straightforwardly about the fact that they're attracted to one another. Nevertheless, Oliver eventually admits he has known how Elio feels for a long time, despite how hard Elio has tried to hide it. Then, as if testing the waters, Oliver slides close and gently kisses Elio. Better now, he asks. But Elio doesn't answer because he's not so sure. He enjoyed the kiss as much as he'd expected, so he decides to test it again, this time pressing his lips more passionately to Oliver's. After a moment, Oliver pulls away and says they should go. So far we've behaved, we've been good. Neither of us have done anything to feel ashamed of. Let's keep it that way, he says. Considering this, Elio places <gasps> his hand on Oliver's crotch. But this doesn't change anything, and the two ride home for lunch during which Oliver slides his foot over Elio's beneath the table. As he presses his soul against the top of Elio's arch, Elio suddenly gets a nosebleed and has to leave the table. Later, Oliver visits him in his room and asks if the bleeding was his fault. Are you going to be okay, he asks. I thought I was, Elio says. I'll get over it. That night, Oliver goes out and doesn't come home until late, and Elio is convinced that he's had sex with somebody else. The following days are tense between Oliver and Elio. Nothing sexual happens between them, and Oliver spends a considerable amount of time with 10-year-old Vimini, a lovable girl who lives nearby and has leukemia. Meanwhile, Elio advances his relationship with Marzia. At one point, she admits she thinks Elio will end up hurting her, though she kisses him back passionately when he presses her against a wall. Elio is struck by Marzia's simultaneous boldness and her sorrow, amazed that she can speak so straightforwardly about her hesitations and then reach down his pain. Even as he enjoys this moment, he composes a note in his head that he leaves for Oliver later that night. It reads... Can't stand the silence. I need to speak to you. Oliver responds the next day with his own note, which says grow up. I'll see you at midnight. When the time finally arrives, Elio sneaks into Oliver's bed and they have sex. When Oliver penetrates him, the pain makes him consider stopping the entire thing. Oliver notices this and asks if he should stop, but Elio doesn't respond and he continues. At one point, Oliver leans down and says, call me by your name and I'll call you by mine. Although Elio enjoys his experience in Oliver's bed, something feels off in the aftermath of their lovemaking. Lying against the sheets, he feels disgusted and in pain, wanting more than anything to leave Oliver's bedroom. He feels as if he doesn't want to remember the experience. He didn't hate it, but nor does he want to think about it. This feeling continues throughout the night and into the morning, but Elio is sure he'll never again want to sleep with Oliver, though by midday he finds himself flirting with Oliver in a way that is much more sexually charged than before. They decide to have sex again 
again that night, and shortly thereafter, Elio and Marzia go to the beach and have sex. Elio and Oliver's relationship intensifies in the last weeks of his stay in Italy. When it's finally time for Oliver to leave, he invites Elio to come with him to Rome, where he will stay for several days in order to finish his book and meet with his publisher. Elio's parents allow him to go, and the trip turns into a romantic getaway for the two young men, who relish their last few days together by having sex and partying with a group of vibrant intellectuals they meet at a reading. When Elio returns to B, he's devastated to have said goodbye to Oliver, but he tries to neutralize the pain by anticipating it. Sensing this, his father, who has picked up on his feelings for Oliver, advises him to embrace the emotional pain. To feel nothing so as not to feel anything. What a waste, he says. Over the next... 20 years, Elio thinks only periodically of Oliver. When Oliver and his wife and kids visit Elio's parents in Italy for Christmas one year, his mother calls him and puts Oliver on the phone. After only a moment, Oliver starts crying and hands the phone to Elio's mother, and Elio's surprised to find that he too is choked up. On another occasion, Elio visits the New England college town where Oliver teaches. Oliver insists that he come over for dinner, but Elio says he can't. It's too emotionally painful. Instead, they go for a drink at Elio's hotel and discuss their past, both of them revealing that their relationship remains the most important love they've ever had. During yet another encounter, Oliver visits Italy, and Elio takes him on a tour of the house, guiding him past the Oral of Paradise and other spots that remain the same. I'm like you, Oliver says at one point. I remember everything. Hearing this, Elio pauses and thinks that if Oliver truly remembers everything, then he should turn to him the next day before closing the taxi door and leaving, look him in the eye, and call him by his own name. Okay. So, Tom, first question, of course, is, did you enjoy Call Me By Your Name? If this were like a Greed's review, which is there, what, five stars? Mm-hmm. This would be like a two and a half or three. Wow. Maybe. Probably okay. a two and a half. I can see why people like this. I can see how they consider it beautifully written. It is so slow and it is so plodding. And Elio is so unlikable that I just didn't really. I fell asleep reading this. I mean, it was just like, what? It was not, I just, I just didn't find it engaging. Yeah. I just, I didn't care about him. It was, and, and it was, and it like, when I read your synopsis, I was like, wait, this took place over six weeks. It felt like it took place over months. It was very, very slow. I was just like, oh, just, I was, I was like, by the end, I was like, the, it picked up a little bit the end. But I have issues with the with the epilogue twenty years later too. I'm just like it just didn't. I don't know. It's I, I don't. I and yeah. So it's kind of I see why it's considered a good book and it is beautifully written. Yeah. But it's just again, it's agonizingly slow and it just was and 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 kind of pretentious too. But that's that's just you know. My, well, my yeah, opinion. I would agree with that. But I think that probably speaks to Elio's character. But then that goes, I think, towards your argument that he's an unlikable character. Yeah, he is really your... pretentious as a character. Yeah. yeah, I mean, to have a seventeen-year-old that is transcribing that, you know, yeah. and that one scene where he keeps changing the tune when Oliver asks, "Play that again." He's like, "This yeah. was how." Yeah. Yes. Well, I would say I mostly liked it. I think there's certainly frustrating bits um especially like this lack of communication between the two mm. or trying to freeze the other out which i can understand i think that's 
true maybe of a confusing strong first love yeah but also you got like a 24 year old involved and you kind of want this 24 year old to be a bit more uh, especially a college professor but i guess if you just think lizard brain and men who do develop more slowly than women then it's like well i guess i guess that's true yeah yeah. it's particularly immature in places yes yeah you can you can definitely feel their youth i think i do yeah it's it is very beautifully written with like the similes and the metaphors and things like it's wow i'm trying to think if i think it's slow i will say that it took me longer to read it like i feel like you have to slow down in order to read what is going on i don't know if this is like just my reading pace was slower than normal when Mm -hmm. reading this and I think this time in particular, I very much focused on Marzia and just how ill-treated she was by Elio. Mm. I think I must forget about her, which is very sad. But yeah, she's kind of used and abused and tossed away. So I would say that I I mostly liked it, but probably for its its writing. And then I think there are some good good things that we're going to discuss that also make me appreciate as well. So I'd say more yes than your yes, but okay. you were kind of iffy anyway. <laughs> would you consider this a buildings Roman? I think it does fall into that considering Ilya's age. And is this, I, I would believe this is a first love romance novel. I didn't get the sense that Ilio had a lot of sexual experience prior to being with Oliver. Um, and I think that there is a there is a coming of age aspect to this because he is exploring a much larger world or and the adult world. Although it seems like he's been in that adult world for quite a while, his parents seem to treat him like another adult in the room as opposed to a child. But yeah, I think I think this is there. There is that that aspect to it. Except those times where he says that. His parents want him to keep during his professor visits. Mm. As far as I could, I think he might have a little more sexual experience than you might think. Because I do remember him saying, like, this wasn't uncommon for him to have attraction to this guy. Obviously, he harkens back to time. Rome, I think it was this person on the bike but i he does say like he's been with other other people um i he's he's not a virgin by any okay so i think the big uh controversial question that we need to discuss to sort of get it out of the way but it won't ever get out of the way is the fact that elio is 17 and oliver is 24 now some could say well that's pretty darn close i did look up what the age of consent was in the 80s in italy and i think it still is 14 and i found Hmm. this on the wikipedia so we're at the age of consent but did did this make you and i asked this also because like thinking about them being american citizens so that's kind of a difference and also us as Americans reading it, we might get kind of some some skivvy feelings. And I have a friend who really has a problem with it. So I just wondered uh, what your thoughts are on this this age gap, but that Elio is in the U.S. underage. I think Elio being underage in the U.S. depends on what state they're in. Oh, okay. Because I think it's, it's not a federal law. It's a state-to-state law. Um, I did not Google age of consent. I didn't feel like doing that on my computer. <laughs> Um, but I do know that in some states it is like 16 as opposed to 17 in other states it's 17. And and I think in a couple other states it might be 18. So it varies. 
17, I think, is safe enough to be in the gray area. Uh, this isn't Lolita, where she's 12, right? You know, this is this is much different. That being said, I was thinking about this this morning, actually, because I was trying to figure out what the answer to this would be. I think that the fact that Ilio is the narrator makes this safer and less, I don't like using this word, but less problematic than, say, if Oliver was the narrator or if it was a third person. I also wonder if the gender of the characters plays a role here because of the way we internalize a lot of like, you know, people's attitudes toward women and this sort of sexist protection aspect to it. If Oliver was a man and Anelia was a younger woman, we might have a more like, you know, stark take on it. Like he's, he's a rapist or something or, you know, or the, the, you know, the, <laughs> you know, is, I, I don't know. Just, I just wonder, I wonder if, because, I wonder if it creates a gray area because you have a young narrator as opposed to the older narrator. Mm. Um, so it doesn't look like he's, you know, he it looks like he's pursuing Oliver as opposed to the other way around. Okay. And I wonder if because it is two young men, um, that also kind of puts it in that gray area as opposed to if this were, uh, if they were opposite genders. Yeah, I, that is true because obviously we, we consider grooming and things like that. And, I was trying not to use that word. But. Yeah. And given the fact that Oliver says no a couple times, really, mm -hmm. that which <laughs> a reversal of like the idea of consent that it, it uh, you wouldn't expect it. So I guess Shane Elio for constantly pursuing and, and wearing Oliver down. But yeah, I feel like it, it almost works with the constant classicism that's also involved. Kind of the the Greeks in particular, how there would always be like this older man, this uh, young boy, yeah, um, in in their particular society. I don't know if that was the intention, but I do I do frequently think of that. And obviously, you know, there's a lot of classes in this in this novel, given all of Roger and the father professor thing. To be fair, this is rich white people stuff. Yes, this this dovetails with. 19th century English romance novels, except this is a little more explicit. Yeah. So. Yep. Let's see what Lord Byron would do. Right. Yeah. I think even even though you said about the states, I think if it were in the U.S., I'd be a little concerned. I think the setting just it changes it, which I I don't know that mm -hmm. I can explain why that why that happens. I mean, I'm glad that Elio is not 14, and that there is uh you know there's just this smallish gap and i think it also helps that they both do seem like elio seems older for his age and mm -hmm. i think oliver does have an immaturity as well given just how how he acts i think um mm -hmm. the standoff and all that stuff so they seem closer in age than their numbers attest maybe the setting is because it's italy it's the summer there's something exotic about that you feel that you can there's a lowering of inhibitions when you're in another country, especially European one. And I know I'm stereotyping here, but that's what I'm wondering about, like whether or not, you know, had this been taking place in on a beach in North Carolina, I don't think this would have been, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, if, you know, uh, yeah, the East end of Long Island, Fire Island might have been a little bit different, but then, you know, um, it's, I think that would make things more complicated. I think I think that's what it does. It 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 strips away 
what would have been a slightly more complicated story and relationship because they are ostensibly on vacation. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll move on from that question, and we'll get to another tough question here, uh, especially coming off of our episode about banned and challenged books. <laughs> Do you consider this sensual slash erotic or explicit slash pornographic? And I created those slashes, so if you want to move explicit <laughs> over to sensual erotic, uh, you certainly may. I think the majority of it is definitely erotic um sensual in a lot of places there are some points where it gets obviously pornographic i think in a good connotation of that term you know um i think pornographic has a non-negative connotation in our culture but i think when when you talk about what the purpose of pornographic pornography is is essentially to titillate right it's 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 sexually explicit but it's meant to arouse yeah and i and i can see that there are scenes in here that he is leaning into the into the the explicit sex in a way that is meant to arouse certain members of his audience which is which i think he does very well there are a couple of very explicit scenes though where i was just like like shaking my head i know the peach scene is one of the ones that gets cited a lot um and i was not shocked at all that you put a peach on the cover to this episode <laughs> The scene that I and even that I was like, all right, I get it, because it was like a master, essentially like a masturbation scene. In it. The scene that got me like shaking my head and going WTF is comes late in their romance, or, or like somewhere in the second half of the novel before Oliver leaves, and it's the toilet scene. Oh, the poops. Yeah, and I just I'm reading that scene, and I'm like, and I'm trying to couch it in Elio's like immaturity. Like, for some reason, he believes this is, like, intimate. But I couldn't. I was just like, what are you doing? But I think overall, overall it tends to be more on the sensual erotic side. And I think it's that's played very well, so to speak. Yeah. And, I mean, at least with sexy. And I think the author does it. There's, like, enough. Enough to lead you so you mm -hmm. know where you're going. But he doesn't push you over there and he's not very direct yeah like during their sex scene even though in my synopsis i said penetrate like you there's not like a play-by-play -play of everything that's going down yeah it's more feeling that it is yeah visual yeah which i do appreciate yeah. yeah i did that that was in rome by the way so that was at the end of their their relationship that 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 is interesting i mean to a certain extent i'm like well i guess this is when you're married and you feel comfortable <laughs> going to the bathroom in front of no. your partner but then it was just like well no we're actually we're gonna look at it and i'm like what's going on here <laughs> so yeah yeah i i don't know that's um isn't that like scatology or something like that uh, um, yeah, whatever so, that's called it but, was just so bizarre yeah i did so someone at, when i was working had seen that i was reading that and, and asked if i liked anything she said would you recommend it and i, I was like hesitating because it's like i don't i don't even know you lady and you're asking me and i said <laughs> well it it there is a lot of eroticism and she starts cracking out because that was basically how yeah how i would describe it because i do think that it gets explicit to a certain extent but yeah i would say it's more erotic erotic than anything mm -hmm. there is that remember he like changed a bunch of words it was like apricot instead of applicants like that that is a very immature guy thing yes yeah that that's that tracks with the 17 year old 
Ugh. Well, anyways, so I guess it's kind of a both and situation with mm-hmm. that particular question. Now, the author avoids using terms like gay or bisexual, though obviously the theme of sexuality is central to this novel. How does Call Me By Your Name choose to explore these themes instead, and why might the author have this choice? I just figured it was showing and not telling. I also think it, it by not explicitly placing a label on either of their sexuality, it allows him to develop characters that seem more more human rather than fitting into a box so it allows for the complexity of the characters there's a there is a tendency in our culture to want to label you know and want to categorize and and you know um you and i probably see in a lot of our students who feel that they have to like choose the label that fits their identity and say i'm this i'm this i'm this and yeah, and like you know, you, you always honor that because it's not your decision to say, you know, well, are you sure you are? But at the same time, you know, that that kind of like he he didn't he didn't say like you know it does it's not a coming out story. It's not like somebody questioning his or saying, are you this? Are you that? Because he doesn't want to he doesn't want us to pigeonhole the characters. I think he just wants us to see the just just see it play out the way it is and not worry about whether or not somebody's gay or bi or 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 what the grander meaning of that is and i think that also ties into this whole this is six weeks on vacation yeah thing because because up until that last part of the book where it's like 20 years later or over the course of 20 years it's fleeting and i think that's the other thing like this is a fleeting summer romance um up until you know, we get to the point where uh, where it's not anymore. Yeah, it's also interesting, like, Eliota, that is not his concern at all. I mean, we're going to mm-hmm. talk about, because I do wonder about the guilt and shame he feels after having sex. But, yeah, he doesn't worry about that at all, really. He remembers back to the time with the kid on the bike in Rome. He doesn't necessarily, I feel like he just thinks or feels that, attraction is attraction you know and he is who he is uh maybe the closest we get to naming something is oliver whether it's in his older age or just maybe experience more so in the u.s whereas i think elio just it seems like they primarily are over there because he's the one to say no basically because of he like culture and society Mm-hmm. I, there's there's a lot of that pressure so i think that's like the closest we get to naming something and saying that quote unquote it's it's wrong that's why that's why we shouldn't it's the 80s too yeah this was written in 2007 when we were still having discussions over human sexuality and 2007 was when we were having major discussions over uh same-sex marriage and things like that but the 80s it's they would have been very progressive for the time, especially his parents, to not have a discussion over their kid's sexuality in this way. Mm-hmm. Maybe we, maybe the word bohemian applies here. I'm not entirely sure, and I know they're academics, so maybe that is what allows it. But yeah, it's it it is a little it, it's slightly odd that it's never brought up because of the, because of the time period, but. I think you can just kind of go with it based on what the story is ostensibly about for those six weeks. So, Yeah. And, you know, the father has a nice discussion with his son mm-hmm. after Elio gets back. And I know Elio is worried about his mother 
finding out. But mm. then in the end, it, it didn't matter as much. I think maybe because she morose? I can't recall what the reason was, yeah, but no. I, I just remember that he was more... Con- but yeah, I agree with you that, yeah, the 80s were probably not going to throw those labels necessarily, especially like way back when bisexual people didn't exist! So says, you know, some community members way back when. Uh, so... Uh, what? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no. Oh, well, because... I'm pretty sure bisexual people existed in the 1980s. <laughs> no, but they've had a tough time because people just think that it's a like a transition from one to the other that they don't oh, like, they didn't believe like the phoebe that, buffet line uh phoebe buffet i i have no idea i there, there's there's an episode of friends where phoebe starts singing to these children and she's singing real songs so to speak and she has a song that goes some women like women and some other men like men and then there are bisexuals but some people think they're kidding themselves oh yeah, I guess that could be yeah. true. But I, I mean, the bisexual community is is continues to have issues today. But I would imagine yes, okay. that in the eighties that it was even worse, and that people were just being like, "That's made up. You need to choose which one you want." That's what I meant. I wasn't saying that. I believe that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I could also I could also imagine too that that bisexuality back then would have been just like for the people who were homophobes to begin with. You see that, and all of a sudden it's like you're not you're that you're just hiding the fact that you're gay, right? Like. Not that you have to choose, but like, you know, we're going to force you into that because, you know, you kiss another man or something. It's like, but you also, you know, just sort of, yeah, I can, I can see how, I can see how that could also kind of come from the homophobic side of things too. Yeah. But you're, you're right about the, about the label thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and who even knows if that's how Elio would have labeled himself. Could have been just queer <laughs> or pansexual. Yeah. We don't know. So, yeah, I, I think it's fine that those terms aren't brought in. Okay, moving on. What do you feel like calling someone by your name means? What does that mean to you? I have no idea. I honestly do not know. Uh, like, the, I, yeah. I don't. Okay. I guess I would say, which is perhaps the bathroom and, and everything else, is like that is as close as you could get to someone and almost like becoming one person and that your identities are so intertwined that you are now each other. That's probably the most I could do to explain it. Mm, yeah, that sounds really cheesy, though. Well, would you say that this novel is not cheesy at times? Mm, I would say it is cheesy at times, yeah. It sounds really like... Again, the immaturity I mentioned earlier, it's like, yeah, that's, <laughs> it's, it's very, it's very song lyric-y in a sense. I also don't think that it would work for het couples necessarily. Like if you were to call your wife, your name, I think it would just be weird. <laughs> yeah. That's right? a, that, that That's like a kink or something like that. Yeah, no, I, I think I think you're right. Um, I think it, it does. It, it works because of, of who the two of them are. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll move on from that. <laughs> so the opening word of the novel, later, becomes mm-hmm. one of Oliver's common refrains, meaning in the future or not yet or just a sec and goodbye, but also a way of avoiding saying goodbye. How do these multiple interpretations of this word play out thematically in the novel and why try to encapsulate so many underlying meanings in one word? Uh, it, it's like you're, he's trying to describe something to Oliver or encapsulate his identity in a single aspect. And Oliver seems kind of flighty. Or not flighty. Just kind of... 
in the way that Ilio is immature for a 17-year-old and that his immaturity, I think, is, ex- is expressed in this obsession, right? Like, because before he and Oliver sleep together, Ilio's, like, laying in Oliver's bed and trying on his swimsuit i think i think at the end of the i think at the end of the uh romance he gets oliver's shirt and ends up like keeping it a plastic bag so it'll always smell like oliver or something it's like that level of obsession which is not malicious in its intent um this is not the police song every breath you take it's more it is it is supposed to be romantic from the point of view of somebody who is just who is like I, said, I keep throwing the word immature out, but that's the best way I can describe it. What Oliver is immature in a way that's like kind of like self-centered, essentially, like like he he's so casual and projects this image of cool. And you could tell that at that age, like attachments, not his thing. And um, he's. So I, I think that's I think that's part of it, and I think that all of the different meanings of things are just Ilio's overthinking of everything because he overthinks so much and he always thinks of variations on things. And like I said, I guess this is it's supposed to sound intelligent or deep or something, but it often comes off as pretentious. Because he can't take anything at face value. Yeah, I've I've followed with you. I think it comes down to those various interpretations speak to the wider interpretations of Oliver's moods, his bathing suits, how he's acting with Elio, and so I think just everything is encapsulated in that one word. But if you zoom out, you're like, well, Elio's very confused and doesn't know how to interpret. I mean, you say overthink, but honestly, don't you think you can go back to a time when you were trying to figure out if a girl liked you? And you're oh, like yeah. interpreting all these signs like, well, maybe that means she likes me. No, she doesn't like me. Like all of that. Oh, yeah. So I feel like that's very realistic. No, it is. It's the that is very realistic when you have an enormous crush on somebody, yeah. especially when you're a teenager. You you try to interpret every every interaction that the two of you have. You observe a lot about them that the teens these days would call, ew, you're stalking, but mm. you're not when you have her schedule memorized because you have like three or four classes together, you know, and you're always at the same places and you always are around that person, you know, because it's like a girl in your class or something, right? You know, like, because Oliver's like always around him, you know? Yeah. So and that that's really important. Like they are always present with one another. It's not like he's going out of his way to find him and see him. And, you know, it's no, like, you see each other for a significant chunk of the day every day and you have really fallen hard for the guy. You're going to have, yeah, you're going to, you're going to notice all of these things just kind of catalog things like that. So yeah, I think I do agree with you. I think that is very realistic for that. And we don't really find out a lot of the things that Elio was thinking was incorrect until the very end. Like he keeps mm-hmm. thinking that Oliver is basically spreading his seed all over town B. But <laughs> Oliver actually tells him like he basically goes out on that tree every night. Do you remember? He's like, this is where I go. Yeah. He like just goes out. Now, I can't say that it was every night, but it seems like primarily he was not spreading seed. Every mm-hmm. yeah, okay. I, I didn't I didn't take him as some sort of like Lothario. <laughs> well, everyone else did. Like, I think he projected the image. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think it was just an image. 
Though the novel is intimately narrated from Elio's perspective, much of the focus is on Oliver and Elio's perception of him. Imagine that the narration is switched, that the story is framed through Oliver's perspective instead. How do you think he would describe Elio? I think it would still be a slow burn. I think the intensity would increase over time in that I don't think at first he was really thinking of Elio in that way. Yeah. And maybe I'm maybe I'm misinterpreting. He strikes me as the type of person who doesn't seem to get infatuated with another person until they pay attention to him. It's like, oh, you like me. Well, now I'm going to notice something about you. That's when I think he would start paying attention to Elio. I think that Oliver tends to be self-centered so everything would be in the context of what Elio does for him in in certain ways. I think the story would not be as romantic as it is or as not essential as it is if Oliver was the narrator. And I think as going back to one of our first questions, I think if Oliver was the narrator, it might come off as a lot more creepy mm-hmm. than Ilio. Uh, still in that gray area, like I said, this isn't Lolita, but um, it definitely wouldn't work the way that it does with Ilio as the narrator. Do you think it would be a lot of tension between his wants and what he was right? I could see that. Maybe self-hatred? Maybe a little bit. I think... Um, I think that he would be struggling between the idea of a casual fling and the idea of a romance. Like, you know, what are his feelings toward this kid? Um, Are they feelings? Is this sex? Is this love? You know, I think that would be an interesting internal conflict to see. Um, We would think about what uh, what his thoughts are concerning what his own history is. Because I don't think we get a ton of that mm-hmm. prior to Ilio. And what's going through his head as far as, you know, this is the... Did they say a specific time in the 80s or was it just... I don't think... It, no. In the film, it's like 82, 83. Okay. Because... Yeah. All right. Because I think, of the, you know, because I'm just... I'm also wondering about, like, you know, safety and things like that in, around that time period. But I don't know if that ever... Again, I maybe the the vacation part of it kind of puts aside some of those concerns. So I think it would be him, him struggling between casual fling and having fun over the summer and the feelings this kid obviously has for me and whether or not I reciprocate them. And do I reciprocate them because he's essentially stroking my ego or is it because I actually genuinely feel this way for him? It would be interesting to learn a bit more about Oliver. He obviously didn't have the greatest up like he had to pay for everything himself mm-hmm. he said um and then that oh that comment he makes in regards to, i think it was the christmas call where elio says they know about us mm-hmm. and oliver says you're lucky my father would have me institutionalized so like he got a sense of at least what his relationship is like with his uh with his father but i uh-huh. think i feel like there would be a lot of um self-loathing potentially like really trying to fight whatever this attraction is to elio mm-hmm. i think you're right that it probably only begins maybe once elio 
pays him attention though it's very interesting because when he leaves him what that first initial tour i mean elio is giving him attention but then he's like okay i'll see you later and then rides off by himself and elio's like what <laughs> what just happened so i don't know if maybe it it's more once he realizes the intelligence like maybe he's very much a sap- sapiosexual i think is what it is called uh when you're attracted to somebody's intelligence and then he huh. realizes this kid is, is more the ci or this is i don't know again we get back to these labels right so i don't know yeah. if if oliver is gay and his wife is more so a beard for him and so this would just this is kind of just um the norm for him that he finds attractive um, that's a good point yeah, you don't really get sure. into oliver's head very much yeah but yeah, how he would describe Elio, I'm sure he would be frustrated by Elio's cold shoulder at times and second guessing, I think, a lot of things, which he does say, you know, I thought I had molested you when he quote unquote pinched his once they were clearing everything up. So I feel like we get it a little bit at the end once Oliver clears things up. But it would be nice to see, like, what is Oliver doing at night when he's on the tree and contemplating things? But yeah. this is not Oliver's. And I don't know whose perspective find me is in. Well, I guess I Okay. Okay. We shall move on. Would you consider Elio an unreliable narrator? Yes. I think he also would consider himself an unreliable narrator because I think he tries to correct himself at times. There's a little bit of self-awareness to that because he's looking at it from a perspective of somebody who's looking back 20 years ago. Because the, the narrator, I believe, if I get, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe the narrator is an adult Ilio looking back on his seven year that summer of being 17, not himself at 17. So he's, I think he fully acknowledges that, you know, he's looking at from his own perspective. Memory can be kind of deceiving um and and i think he'll he he sees where uh he has to correct himself on certain things from time to time so he's unreliable but i think earns your trust over the course of the book i yeah i would agree with that and and i think because he lets us know that he doesn't know exactly i think Mm -hmm. that that builds trust immediately as well and you just know you're kind of along for this ride trying to figure out which feelings or which actions are accurate and actually happening and which ones are just all in Elio's head and his wants and desires. Yeah. Yep. Okay, in Rome, let's let's switch to that. Mm-hmm. How does Elio and Oliver's trip to Rome affect the plot of the novel? So this is the end of their relationship for this summer before it yeah. gets flash forward several years. I think this is where, it, honestly, like I, this feels like where it turns into truly the closest thing that they get in that time to an actual relationship. There's something more romantic, no pun intended, about their trip to Rome than the sex at, in in the other town. I just there's something they're more out i guess i don't know uh, it, it it certainly is a, a climactic sort of part of their relationship but i feel that there's more feeling involved here a romantic feeling than there is even if if they think if Ilya think it's thinks it's romantic when you know where they're, they're in the villa and all that throughout the summer but i think here it really is out there in the open for both of them to see and they're it's a little more bare but yeah. maybe I'm sorry. Yeah. sorry. 
No, I might be misinterpreting. <laughs> no, I, I, that's absolutely when I was thinking about this question, that's what I thought too, is that for the first time, there's not this self-conscious behavior. They're not worried about societal norms. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if it's the transition from small town B to Rome and that, uh, you know, Rome is just different in many ways and maybe more decadent as we see throughout the, the party as well. But yeah, I mean they're out in the out in the streets and making out, even though they they know people are around. People do still say stuff because Elio hears them and everything. But I feel yeah. like they're the freest they could be because they can't be free, you know, under his parents' roof necessarily. So they're just yeah. like people, anonymous parties basically out in the world, and so things don't affect them as much. So I think you could almost see what it would be like for them though also it's like very extreme because you know elio's getting drunk and you know they're just partying and everything so hopefully that, that wouldn't actually be what their relationship would be like long term but i think there is yeah romance and a, a beauty to it and they are tr as true to themselves perhaps as they had been the entire novel it's almost like the couple uh, the, the old trope of a, of a couple having an affair who have to sneak around when they're among their respective partners. So, but they find the time to take off somewhere together. And that restriction of having to sneak around so that nobody in town sees them or their partners don't find out, whatever, we're going to go to a place where nobody knows us and we get to be the couple we want to be, but we're not because, but we're having an affair. So we're not a couple like that freedom is there. Um, so it, it almost kind of, mirrors that sort of uh, adult affair trope that we've seen in a lot of uh, movies and, and novels. What do you think is the significance of the poet's story <laughs> of the San Clemente syndrome in the third chapter of the novel? How do you interpret the meaning of his phrase and story? How does it apply to the themes of this novel at large? And I will say that this reminds me of, so I can't put my finger on it, but someone who I keep keeps changing a definition of something or a story about something like and that was da 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 almost like joker honestly like and this was my origin story because he keeps saying what the san clemente syndrome is multiple times but i guess if we the real story might be with the was it thailand i'm trying to remember what the san the clemente syndrome thing is and remember the woman who may have also been a man or the man who may have been a woman talking to him Yes, I'm, I'm vaguely remembering this, and it I think it, it speaks to the unreliability of a narrator. So it's almost metatextual in that sense, in that like you know he's showing us what he might be doing because he's doing his best to remember, but he's remembering from a long time ago. And yeah. memory is, is is shoddy, right? You know, and and your your memory of an event can be clouded by your judgments of it and other things. I also think it's a, a variation on the classic fish story. You know, like I caught a fish and every time I tell the story, it gets bigger. Oh, uh, true. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so, and I think that happens when people experience something that is exciting for them. And as they tell the story more and more, the details of the story get embellished, either because the most sensational part needs to have a little bit more of a punch or whatever they're telling about them they can make themselves look better or more heroic it depends on the the, the nature of the story um but uh you know it's it's a uh, yeah it's kind of that uh, there's a tim o'brien things they carry chapter called how to tell a good war story 
and it's it's all about it's these two people like one guy's trying to tell a story and somebody keeps interrupting him with like no tell the story right in other words like you know it's there's the truth and there there's the story and I think it's what we're getting at and then yeah. and I'm wondering if the author or the narrator himself is making some sort of metatextual commentary about how he's telling the story that he's telling yeah very much so. I also think it's Oh, oh, oh. The author is in Andre. Yeah, either Andre or or Elio. One of them or both of them is making some sort of commentary on how they're telling the story that yeah. they're telling. Uh, so it was Thailand. Uh, so just okay. to be clear about that. But he, he very much, the poet who's talking about it, refers back to this basilica of San Clemente and the layers where it's like Christian layers and uh, pagan layers and everything and ma memory and how it all interacts. But it very much, I would very much agree with you. That's what I was thinking, that his story is like Elio looking back and telling this story to us. And so Elio is almost exhibiting this San Clemente syndrome or clementizing, I think some of them <laughs> decided to put into the vernacular <laughs> for sure. Yeah, and, and his time with... Oliver and I mean the whole thing it's you could probably read that multiple times which I had to read it probably twice um, and really parse it out and everything but I, I do think it is metacontextual uh, speaking to us yeah as Andre and speaking also to us as Elio so I think even in that moment Elio didn't realize that he was clementizing but looking back in as, as an adult and telling us I think see that so I yeah. feel like that would probably the point of it but it yeah it was a very interesting scene sure okay so these two kind of go together but i did wonder why elio does not feel shame or guilt after having sex with marzia but he very much has that after having sex with oliver and even he says, would I always experience such solitary guilt in the wake of our intoxicating moments together? Why didn't I experience the same thing after Marzia? What do you think? Is it only because of their genders? Are there other things or other factors at play here? I think they're, uh, you know, Mar Marzia is like his age, right? Yes. Thereabouts. You know, you hook up with Marzia, you know, the Italian girl, you're on vacation, you meet this Italian girl, you hook up with her, sleep with her there's an expectation that you're fulfilling by just by living in a, especially in the eighties, which is very heteronormative society. Right. So the gender is a factor, the age between the two characters, a factor, the shame because he's sneaking around and doing it with Oliver, you know? Mm -hmm. And then that's, you know, the, this, uh, just, he's not necessarily disobeying his parents because I don't think they've explicitly said that they can't do this. So it's not like a Romeo and Juliet type of thing. It's more along the lines of he's worried what his parents will say. So I think those are those factors complicate this, and that's why he feels guilt uh, because he 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 feels like he is. Let's just go with the pun: eating of the forbidden fruit. Mm. As opposed to Maritza, Marzia, I almost—I keep wanting to say Maritza, Marzia, who is very much the acceptable lover in scenario. It reminds me of the guilt that, um, what's that guilt called after uh, someone masturbates? Do you know what I'm talking about? Catholic guilt? Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know the term for it, but I understand what you're talking about. Yeah. 
I guess to... it's it can't be. I, yeah, I don't know. Oh, oh gosh, better open up an incognito tab at Google. What is that gill? Isn't it called no blue something? Anyways, yeah, I can't put my finger because this was something that baffled me as I was reading it. I don't know that it. Part of me wants to say it is a gender differentiation. I mean, mm. he he was sneaking around with Marzia. They were out in the pool. They were they were in his house. I'm trying to think if there were any other places that they went together. The quick Google says that clinically understood as DAT, D H A T syndrome, and masturbatory guilt. Oh well, there so. you go. Yeah, but he doesn't. I don't think he feels guilt. Well, he feels shame after. I think slight shame after the peach. And then there's some shame when he like wet, <laughs> what if wet the uh, his trunks when Oliver was like telling him they should go for a swim, but not when he masturbated on Oliver's pillow. So it's like very confusing. What to like to what extent will he have shame or not? I don't know. Like pain was involved. I I, I honestly I don't know. I really don't know. Maybe it was. Like Oliver saying, you know, we've been good. Uh, let's not do anything that is bad. Maybe that kind of seeped in somehow, and so he thought that this was a bad thing. I'm not sure that I have an answer for this. It's layered, yeah. I think. I think there's a lot going on in his head when he does it. I also think that maybe on some level he's surprised it actually happened in the first place, you know? Yeah. So there's that. There's like almost a, a shock because it's like, well, I didn't actually think, not that he's in over his head or anything. It's just there, there's some shock is like, I didn't actually think this would actually happen. You know, um, infatuation or a crush, you know, it's a really powerful thing to experience. And a lot of times they are unrequited. And sometimes when you, when you get, when you take that step forward, you kind of don't know what to do with yourself. Mm -hmm. So I think that's part of it too. So, yeah. It will remain a complicated answer, I suppose. <laughs> Any thoughts on why the author chose to leave the names of the Italian towns ambiguous, denoting them only with a single letter? No, all I could think of is that when like somebody like a Victor Hugo or somebody did that would have the name of the in some novels they'd have the name of the town and then like the first letter in a blank. Yeah. And that always annoyed me. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I, I really, I, I, I just, it just kind of, it just bugged me and then I just let it go. So I didn't think about it. I guess it's a way to make it, because this was something I think also that happened in Jane Eyre, maybe to make it so that this could happen any, anywhere. Yeah, possibly. I would say that. Yeah. And Rome is just because Rome is a big plot point. That's why I have to make it specific. Yeah. Well, and Rome, like like you said earlier, when we were talking about the Rome portion, Rome and this town are a city country contrast. So yep. you use a term like you use Rome and, and it's a, you know, it, it's like using Paris or London or New York or something like, you know, it's it's the city. And, and since you're in Italy, you know, that just it, it gives you a certain it, it, it saying the word gives you a certain image. So but the, but the little town can be anywhere because there's a ton of little towns like that in Italy. So, yeah. Very true. Um, I mean, we can talk about Judaism. The Judaism. I, you know, what do you think of that? Because I didn't necessarily get that either. So I want to see what your opinion is of that. Well, it's not much, right? It's more just like a surface level. I mean, it's all just wrapped up in the fact that he wears a Star of David around his neck. Uh-huh. 
Now, this question, of course, does talks about these different traditions like bonding, homecoming, and community. So I think it's kind of wrapped up in there. Uh, but I don't know that... <sighs> I think it's something interesting because I know Elio said that their family is like... Was it like safe or secret Jews? Not secret. It was something. Just like, well, they're Jewish, but they don't kind of parade it around other or Like people. non-practicing in a sense. Yeah. And like, so to have yeah. someone visit who seems to be again i think it's because of his overall demeanor oliver's and that he is very calm cool and collected and um being jewish just is is a part of his life that maybe elio looks up to that and and wants to be a bit more out and proud Hmm. but other than that i don't see too much kind of pulling through on that yeah that's a good point how about the last section the flash um, forward the because because yeah. Oliver because it flashes forward for twenty years so Oliver would be forty four forty five and Ilya would be thirty seven or so so you know which at that point the age difference between the two of you really doesn't matter mm-hmm. right because it's not if they were twenty years apart if they were fifteen years apart. The age still might matter because of, you know, because then if you are in a romance with somebody, you're talking about like, you know, I don't know, getting on in years and taking care of the person here. They're close enough in age that the fact that it's like, you know, we're so far beyond that age, that time when the age of the two of you does matter, that it's not as big of a deal. Um, Oliver married and had kids, um, still teaches, you know, really is just kind of established. What did Ilio do with his life? Other than think about Oliver. <laughs> so I don't get the sense that he like, this is the thing. It's like, I can't remember what he does for like a living in his 20s, 30s and 40s. And I didn't get the sense that he ever like, what is love life? Because it's the whole point. And I know that it's not, I, and maybe he thinks it's not relevant to the plot. But it comes off as this like you held this torch for this guy for 20 years. Did you not do anything else? Or maybe I'm I'm misinterpreting the uh, the that whole section. No, I, I it does really seem it, but I also think maybe in terms of where the author was going, that it was irrelevant, and that he only wanted to show the parts that Oliver impacted or affected. And so, because I think that he does have a career, he did do something because he's an intelligent man. I would be super surprised if he was just like a dud, but Mm -hmm. he clearly has something. He doesn't have a family, so he's maybe not well established in that regard. But I think it really was about Oliver in those last sections Mm. because I think he had romances, both men and women. But it, it just kept coming back to, to Oliver. So I guess that that might, uh, I guess it, you know, if it were a woman, obviously, I would be like, oh my gosh, give me a break. Why is your world revolving around this man? It still seems pretty bad that way. Like, do you not have any other focus? But I think I, that was just the presentation of the of the author. I just, I just think he needs to. He doesn't need to give me a whole chapter on what he's been doing with his life. I think he just, he didn't. He needs to just give a little bit more context because I've been reading about this kid's life over six weeks and every single aspect of it. And then all of a sudden, it's like, you know, I'm going to cover 20 years, but I'm only going to think of Oliver. So the rest of my life is not relevant. But I'm thinking to myself, but you're talking about Oliver having a family. You're talking about Oliver having a career and everything. Like, where, like, yeah, where are you? So I, I don't, 
I don't know if that's the fault of Ilio or if that's the fault of the author. Like, you know, especially with the romantic thing, it's like, so did you have lovers? Did you have a family? It's okay if you didn't have a family. It's okay if you're still single, but it's like, you can't mention the fact that you had a couple of relationships and, or something. It's just something I felt needed a mention and it wasn't there. Yeah. I forgot about this part, especially because I knew like, Oh, there's a sequel. So I thought the sequel would cover it. Now I'm just like, what's the sequel going to do if we already talked about uh part of this? Uh, mm. I feel like it's unnecessary that you could have just ended it in 1983 or he could have yeah I, I don't know unless he's like this is this the, the 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 love of your youth has an impact on you throughout your entire life your first love your first true love will always stay with you i mean if that's the message and like or that he's answering that weird that question that i think a lot of people who have encounters like this where they you know and, and across gender etc and sexuality where they 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 fall for somebody over the course of a very short time they have a um fleeting affair so to speak you know and especially in their youth right like you you meet some girl you meet some guy and it's like a really hot summer but you never see each other again and it's him kind of answering the question that i think people always have and that's like whatever whatever happened to that person you know what if yeah but I, I think I want to know also if, if, I, if I'm answering, if I'm getting the answer to whatever happened to Oliver, I also want to know whatever happened to Ilya. And I don't think we get that enough. Yeah, I guess it's similar to Rome in a way that everyone else is absent. Like it's just zooming in on their relationship. Mm -hmm. um, but in this case, yeah, the long-term effects that Oliver has had on Elio. But yeah, not vice versa. But yeah, I'm not sure why he does go introspective on that whereas he had been the entire i can't answer mm -hmm. okay you'll have um, to let us know what the oh sequel gosh, is about like. find me yeah well now it's it's a bit tricky because if they were having some guilt and shame and they were single i mean if there's no guilt and shame and oliver has a family <laughs> that seems a bit problematic to me yeah so i'm not sure what will happen That'll, that'll be interesting to hear about. I know. It, what's also interesting is I remember an interview from the director of the film saying that, because I can't remember how many years down the line, it's like 30 years or something, and um, saying that he wants to, once 30 years have passed, make this film with Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> I don't know that <laughs> that's going to happen now. Oh, man. I guess it's possible. Yeah, um, it's always back. possible. I mean, they're they're making Indiana Jones sequels 30 years after the last, you know, et cetera. So, well, um, I more meant because of Army Hammer falling into. Oh, no, I, that was my oh, first yeah. thought, too. Oh, you yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that would be interesting to see yeah, how that would come about and, and whether or not it would work, too. Because sometimes those, those sequels don't necessarily work, you know. Sometimes they do. So it would be interesting. Yeah. Any other thoughts about this? Nope. I think I'm I think I'm pretty good. Okay. Well, would you recommend this to somebody? <laughs> and then <laughs> would you consider this required reading? I don't I don't know. I really I, I'm not I'm not entirely sure. Uh on, on some level it is a very well written novel. It is a different perspective on coming of age than I think most people are used to. Um, it's certainly sophisticated in places, but like I said, it's also really pretentious in others and it's really slow. So I'm like, this would make for something interesting in like a college lit course. Um, if you're teaching it, I certainly wouldn't give it to a high school student. 
if I'm recommending it, it has to be somebody who who is older and has a certain level of maturity that they'd be able to handle this. So maybe, you know. Yeah. Yes. That, I mean, that's why I hesitated recommending it to a stranger because I don't know. I don't yeah. know what your thoughts are on, you know, certain things. And golly. Uh, yes, I think I would have to know the person. And I also have concerns because homoerotic romances seem to be fetishized. Uh, mm, they're like very point. popular, but I don't... Uh, I don't know why they're popular. I'm not saying that they don't deserve to be, okay? But, like, girls, you know, like, flocking to them. And then I, I just don't know, like, how how are they being consumed? So I guess I'm concerned about that. So depending on how you are going to engage with mm -hmm. this literature, I, that's what I would have to, to think about with you. That, that's a really good topic to explore. And I don't know if – I don't think I'd certainly – I'm not the authority on <laughs> – uh, or I'm not the type of person who could really have a have a concrete discussion on it. You'd actually have to ask, you know, people who um, are are queer. Um, also, as I'm sure people like, what is the infatuation among hetero yeah, heterosexual yeah. people with like because you know like you're saying women flocking to homoerotic love, but also yeah. what's with men and lesbian porn? Like you know things like that. It's it's that's a again that's another fetishizing of you know. Yeah. That yeah, that's a whole that's a whole other discussion. But I, I think you're you're you've got something there that's that's really interesting. And I think this this could fall under that. Um this is not a this is not an intro level gay romance novel. No. You know, so this is not a novel that um you would give to somebody who you're trying to show like, you know, who who's hesitant or, or you know, has said things where you're trying to be like, no, like you really should read this and see, like, you know, um, I think this is a little bit <laughs> a couple of levels up. Yeah. So recommend pending, depending on the person, and then yeah. I don't think that this is required reading, but you're right that in a in a in like a collegiate lit class, I think it'd be interesting to parse out how this is written. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tom, I think, do we have some feedback? We do. We have a couple of comments uh, from Robert Ward, our Scholastic Book Buddy, on both episode 78, which was, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Margaret. And um, actually, uh, regarding episode 80, uh, well, actually, the topic of this episode in a comment on episode 80. So with regard to Margaret, he says... I enjoyed this episode and found reading this classic a wonderful opportunity. I vaguely remember watching and reading Super Fudge, but I never tackled this one for obvious reasons. I was so happy to rectify that. I'm so glad to hear that not only did Tom love Rosaline, but hopes to incorporate it in class. It's such a great film. Um, he also later pointed out that Rosaline got removed from Hulu. Uh, so if I was interested in showing it, I'd have to track it down somehow. Which I'm surprised because it was a Hulu original. Disney partially owns hulu i believe and i okay. think they scrubbed a bunch of stuff from disney plus and hulu recently as a cost cutting measure so okay. it's yeah it's a whole other thing because they they dropped some some disney plus uh, originals as well like willow went away oh. uh, which is a bummer because i never got around to watching it uh, anyway back into the email he said i don't think i've ever heard of uh, a visit from the goon squad but that was episode 79 by jennifer egan so my interest is peaked i love rock music and stella's low rating on goodreads has my attention oh jeez. i actually just listened to an audiobook of, for daisy jones and the six so another rock book sounds fun honestly like 
I don't know if I mentioned this in the episode. I did re-listen to the episode after I posted, but it's been a few weeks. I kind of thought that I haven't read Daisy Jones and the Six. It sounds really cool, and I really want to read it. But I was wondering, maybe my thought was like, I read the back cover of Daisy Jones and the Six. I remembered this novel, and I thought that they might be the same thing. Um, I don't think they are. <laughs> so he says, uh, a friend didn't like reading the book, but having a full cast playing the characters and presenting the novels a proper oral history slash documentary style t- presentation was so good. So maybe I'll have to check out uh, that book. Regarding episode 80, he's talking about Call Me By Your Name. He says, I've already read Call Me By Your Name, so I have another month off, but I'm pretty eager to hear your coverage. The adaptation written in big caps, you got to talk about you know who. In my mind, that could either be Timothy Chalamet or Army Hammer. I assume it's the cannibal. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a documentary about that, like House of Hammer or something like that. Yeah. yeah I have it. It's it's saved in my streaming oh, somewhere, but I have not watched it. Yeah. I think I'm okay yeah. not watching it. Yeah. Chalamet is a very good actor. I would, uh, yeah. I, would um, I really liked Dune. And you've seen Lady Bird and Little Women? No. Oh my gosh. So I, you... I, I am not a huge Little Women fan. Lady Bird, I saw clips of it. It looked annoying, so I avoided it. I probably should go back and watch it. Um, so I did go see the Barbie movie, though. Ooh. It's really good. Okay. It was really good. Um, but I did like that. But like I said, that Wonka movie looks like crap. So, <laughs> but hit your paycheck, man. Uh, and any talk about that crazy sequel? So. Was that from the email? Yeah, that's from the email. He says, what, which I've... is, I assume, what he's mentioning, what I just mentioned. Yes, yes. Yeah. So uh, you know, it sounds like a great plan. I mean, it reminds me of the, was it Ethan Hawke was in a film and they watched this young kid like grow up? Oh, boyhood? Yeah. And that was shot like almost in real time as like, this it kid was. Grew up. They, yeah. they would, um, I don't remember how many years it's shot over, but what Richard Linklater, uh, was the director. Richard Linklater, if you're not familiar with him, directed, uh, commercially his most successful movie, I think, is School of Rock with Jack Black. He, he directed with Ethan Hawke, he directed the before trilogy. So before sunrise, Gosh. before, sunset and before midnight is the other one i've only seen before sun i've seen before sunrise and before sunset my favorite link later film was days of confused so which is going to be a future pop culture affidavit episode but um boyhood i believe was shot in small increments over several years like they get the cast together for like a short shooting schedule and shoot the scenes and then they'd come back and they come back and they come back it won it won Oscars, and I keep meaning to watch it. I just haven't gotten around to it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not uncommon for that. to. I mean, it might be rare. But mm-hmm. now I just don't know. I mean, I, I think that Army Hammer has a lot of mm, recovery to do. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I don't know that there's been a lot of remorse on his side for things that he's done. So I just don't know if now if it'll it'll happen. But it, it sounded interesting. I mean, I haven't read it yet, so I don't know if it'll be worthwhile. But it sounded interesting to be like, oh, what's Timothy Chalamet going to be like in 30 years mm-hmm. and, and have that story? But, that would be yeah. interesting, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so that that's our feedback. Um, we didn't get any feedback on on the uh, on the banned books episode. So we'll, hopefully we'll get something and maybe something on this. So again, send us your feedback. We always love hearing from you guys. And I guess that leaves me with my next choice. Yes. Okay. So uh, for episode eighty-two, we are actually going to go. Um, 
a lighter read in terms of length and format because we're going to go we haven't done a graphic novel in a while actually i can't remember what our last graphic novel was but we haven't it's been a while uh so i decided we we do a graphic novel that actually touches upon the topic of our previous episode um we are going to be reading band book club um the writers are kim hyun sook and ryan estrada the penciler is ko hung jew and i apologize if i mispronounce those korean names um, so that is our next work for next episode. So um, as always, thank you very much for listening and take care. And don't molest the fruits. No, peaches bruise. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Good night. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to Required Reading with Tom and Stella, which is brought to you by two true freaks. That's two true freaks. If you're interested in learning more about the books we've read or want to comment on the episode, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash required reading with Tom and Stella. If you would like to email us to comment on the episode or continue our discussion, you can reach us at requiredreadingcast at gmail.com. We will read every email we get on future episodes. We're looking for more visibility, so if you liked this episode or the show in general, why not leave us a review on iTunes? Thanks again for listening and come back next month for our next episode. Oh, to see without my eyes the first time that I cried I built your walls around me white noise what an awful sound
soul. 